investment. I'm a tither and I have passion for God. I contracted a business with a company that, so, that sells scrap materials from the port through an agent. I did a quotation for them. We discussed and I was given the contract for $10 million. The next day I was called, that contractor was canceled. I asked the chairman what happened and he said they finally want to sell all the materials as a whole. Finally, they sold it to me for $14 million. But I was faced with the challenge how to pray. Then I remembered the bishop. Write whatever you want from the bank of heaven. So I wrote, Lord, I want $7 million to pay for this contract. Lo and behold, someone met me and paid $7 million for the materials, which was the first installment. I give him all the glory. And then it says, in the same vein, we at this church, it's not just a church, but a city of refuge, of covering. Why not come and take cover in Christ and this church? Jesus still does supernatural blessings. Now, I'm not doubting that that may have occurred. It can. The Lord does bless. And I praise the Lord that he does do that. But if we think that this characterizes the whole of Christian life, that we are guaranteed blessings, prosperity blessings in this world, and we're guaranteed healings, and we're guaranteed nothing but happiness, and I think we may be drifting into error. The apostle John died alone on an island. Peter, the apostle Peter, was allegedly crucified upside down. John the Baptist had his head cut off and served on a platter. The Lord said that there will be afflictions in our day. And so I think that it is the Lord's desire that we learn how to praise him in the good times and also mourn in the way that gives him glory. We want to learn how to mourn in a way that gives the Lord glory. And family, our church has experienced some tragedy these past couple of months, haven't we? We've experienced death of family members and friends. We have loved ones in the hospital, and some, are even, some of us are even sick. Many of our hearts have been struck down by world affairs. Relationally, many people are feeling misunderstood, unheard, misrepresented, and despised. Afflictions are all around us. Afflictions have hit our church. So I think the Lord wants to use Psalm 102 to help guide us through our afflictions to his glory. Now, Psalm 102 was written around 586 B.C., and the Israelites were captive in a foreign land, in Babylon. Now, they weren't there because they had the weaker military or, not, or bad strategy. It was because they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord had punished them. Because of their persistent rebellion towards the Lord, he used the Babylon to destroy them and their homeland, which is Zion, also known as Jerusalem. 
They were in captivity. And it wasn't pleasant. They were in exile and times were tough. So in this Psalms, he's leading us on how to praise the Lord in the midst of affliction. Now, I think he wants to tell us three things. Three things. One, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. That's in verses 1 through 11. The next, we'll see, rejoice because you have made it to Zion. Rejoice because the Lord will bring you to Zion. And then number three, rest because the Lord will keep you in Zion. Rest because the Lord will keep you in Zion. Verses 1 through 11, listen as I read. A prayer of one afflicted, when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert isle of the wilderness, like an isle of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. The first verse, it says, hear my prayer. Let my cry come to you. This is not just a normal everyday prayer for certain items here or there. This is a prayer. This is a cry, a cry out of distress, a prayer that needs to be answered speedily because it seems like he's on the brink of losing it all. And if there's anything he needs more than ever, he needs the Lord not to hide his face from him. He needs the Lord to incline his ear to him, to, to answer him speedily. He had no place else to go. And if you looked at this list, you can completely understand, right? Verse 5 says, his gr- had groaning and his bones was clinging to his flesh. Verse 3, it said his bones burned like furnace. He couldn't take a run in the morning to clear his mind at the gym or hit the gym. His movements felt like a torture chamber. But he also had emotional pain. He said earlier that his heart was struck down. But look at verse 9. He said, I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Eating ashes like bread, mingling tears. Ashes was a sign of mourning. Mourning was grieving and mourning were regular parts of his life. And he couldn't take a drink without crying. 
He was so distressed that he forgot to eat. And then it says, he's afflicted relationally. Verse 7, he says, I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. And the only companionship that he can think of that's worth noting is his mind is his enemies. His enemies are surrounding him, taunting him, mocking him, ridiculing him all day long. If you could put a, him in a box and put a label on it, it would say, struck down and withering. Verse 4, he says, my heart is struck down like grass and has withered. And in verse 11, he says, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither like grass. It's one thing to be cut down, but to wither away expresses a long, slow deterioration of life. And if that isn't bad enough, look who he says is ultimately responsible. Verse 10, he says, because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. He knew that the main reason this was happening to him was because he was an Israelite and they were in exile under the discipline of God. The Lord had told them that if they were to obey his law, that they would dwell safely in the land. But if they broke his law, then he would scatter them and send them into captivity. And there would be no prospering for them. And that's what happened. The Lord is making good on his promise. The Lord does not play with his word, and he doesn't play with sin. He is a God of love, but he also is a God of wrath. Actually, it's because he's a God of love that his wrath is kindled when we sin. He loves his law, and therefore, he pours out wrath on anyone who breaks it. He loves his son. And therefore, he has eternal anger towards those who reject his son. Now, if you are feeling the heartache and you are feeling brokenness and abandonment, and it is directly, you know that it is because of your sin, because you have rejected the Lord, then cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus and he will hear you. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son will not see life for the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of God remains on them. This is a picture of the wrath of God on an individual and on a community of people, unbearable. Flee the wrath of God by confessing your sin if you haven't done that yet. Confess your sin to Jesus Christ. If you do that, he is faithful and just to forgive, us, forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that anger, that wrath, that indignation will be removed from you. But it's also worth noting in this psalm, that this psalmist does not 
identify any of his own sins. There are psalms of lament and psalms of repentance in which the the writer says that there's some sin that he committed, but in this psalm, we don't see it. The author of this psalm may have been one of the faithful few who were in exile, who was getting hit disaster after disaster, not because God had anger on them, but just because they were in exile in a broken land under, uh, under God's wrath with the people of Israel. So they could have been like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, who, who trusted the Lord, but yet found themselves enslaved and in hardship. And that's the same for us. People who truly love the Lord, who has had their sins removed and has had the anger of God removed, may still feel hardships, will still feel hardships, will still feel afflictions because we are in this world and this world is under the curse of God. There is still death. There is still decay. There are still enemies. Our spirits still war with our flesh. So if you're going through tough times, don't think that it's because the anger of God is over you if you are a Christian. We get old and our bones ache. We get pregnant and have mood swings. Yeah. Menopause. Stuff that we can't control. It wars with us and we're like, why am I so cranky? because we're in the flesh and decay. Don't worry. God's anger is not over you. We have enemies. People lie on us at work. Don't worry. We're in a broken world. There are sins that we're just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and we don't seem to get victory. You keep fighting But the war is going to continue to rage on until we reach Zion. It's not God's anger if you have come to Christ. It's not God's anger. We saw actually earlier when Brother Langston read that our afflictions actually can be used to to take us to Christ and to know more about him. And so I wonder if Joseph had never went down in the pit in Egypt and been enslaved and came up. I wonder if he would have known with a sincere heart that the Lord works out evil for good. I wonder if Job, after going through all of his afflictions, would have known that yet he needed to shut his mouth because the Lord is Lord over all creation from beginning to the end. I wonder if Shadrach, Meshach, when they were going to Furnace, got a greater understanding that no hair on their head is outside of the control of God. 
Paul had thorns to know that the grace of God was sufficient. Afflictions make us cry to the Lord. He uses afflictions to make us cry to the Lord. Some of us may not have known how merciful God was and how much of a comforter he was until we were afflicted. But now we know, right? Our afflictions makes us know the Lord more. It's not his anger. It's him drawing us to him. So cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. And cry to the Lord. Do not cry to your circumstance. Don't speak to the situation. Don't speak into the atmosphere to shift it around. (laughs) Cry out to the Lord. (laughs) He makes the change. It's in his hand. And he's your God. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's why this psalm isn't, this isn't sinful complaining. This is obedience. He said, cast all your cares on me because I care. Throw them at his feet. He wants them. He wants them. And what I love he doesn't just, when you come to him and you're crying, he doesn't say, all right, suck it up, stop crying. Get it together. Oh, ye a little faith. He's not saying that all the time. Oh, ye a little faith. He's not always saying that. <laughs> come to the Lord. <laughs> He's saying, you made me lose my spot. Oh, you know what he does? I got it. <laughs> Instead of saying, suck it up, he points us to a greater hope. And that's, his ver- that's verses 12 through 22. Rejoice. Your Lord will bring you to Zion. That's the next point. Rejoice because your Lord will bring you to Zion. Verses 12 through 22. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is a time of favor for her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds Zion. He appears in glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, from heaven, and looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. 
when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. In verse 12, he says, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Now, it was important for the psalmist to look to this eternal king because at the time, Israel didn't have a king, an earthly king. Every one of their kings had gone down one by one. They had been dethroned. And now they were in a foreign land. But the psalmist here is walking by faith and not by sight. And his faith is not based on an empty wish. He remembers the days of old when when Israel had no king, but when the Lord still guided them. When the Lord, by a mighty arm, had delivered them from slavery to the Egyptians and how by a cloud he guided them through the wilderness. The Lord had always been enthroned and he was always their leader and king. And so he looks back at the word, he remembers the Lord, and he looks forward to hope. And he reminds himself that the eternal Lord is on the throne. And he remembers that the king is a compassionate king. The Lord, is a, the Lord had pity. The Lord is a real person with real emotion, and he cares for his people. And it was because he knew the Lord had compassion is why he knew the Lord would arise and have pity on Zion. Now, you would think that a person who was under such turmoil would say, have pity on me. But no, he gets hope by saying, have pity on Zion. And in verse 14, he says that his servants hold Zion, her, stones dear. And in verse 16, again, he says, the Lord builds Zion and he appears in glory. Why all this talk about Zion? Well, Zion was the place where the house of the Lord was going to be established. In Isaiah 2, it says that the the prophet says the nations will flow to Zion and they will be amazed at his glory. It is there that the nations would no longer be at war with Israel, but would desire to learn the law of God and would walk in the ways of God. In Zion, the people would have complete rest. And most importantly, in Zion, God would be in their midst. God would be among them. This is why he wanted Zion to be restored. This is why he wanted to get there. And so the psalmist is saying, I know I'm in exile, but if I can just get to Zion with where my Lord is, then I'll be all right. And so he longs for the day he could get to Zion. And, and, and then he foretells how they would get to Zion. Verse 19 The Lord will look down from his holy height to hear the groans of the prisoners. You see the grace here? The Lord will look, the Lord will look down from his holy height to hear the groans of the prisoners. Earlier on, he said, hide not your face from me. Don't. Turn your ear towards me. And now we see the Lord turning his face towards them and looking and then hearing their groans. It's been a reversal. 
there's grace. And we know it's grace because the Lord is, says he's too holy to even look on evil. So when he looks down on them, he is graciously answering the call. He has placed his hope in the grace of God. But not only does he say that the Lord will have grace and look at them, but he says he will actually set them free. That's more grace. The Israelites had no possible strength to break the chains of their oppressors. They didn't have any, no military, no horses, no chariots, no nothing. They only had despair. They were doomed to die, the text says. But he unlocks the chains and he he says that he's going to set them free from death. But then there's more grace. He not only sets them free, but he gives them a new song. He set them free that, verse 21, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When he set them free, he gave them a new song. When he loosed their chains, he also loosed their lips. He gave them a heart of worship. And there's more grace. Because he said he's getting 22 when the people gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He gathers them together. That's grace. He brings all those who were scattered plus kingdoms out. He brings them in one place as one to worship. He has a hope. He has a hope of grace that, be, that will be shown in the Lord breaking their chains, giving them a heart of praise, sending them to Zion, gathering them t- together, and then worshiping the Lord. Now, at this point in history, right, and when the psalm was written, he was anticipating entering Zion. But if you read later on in Nehemiah and Ezra, actually the Lord, we see the Lord actually brings them back to Jerusalem. He brings them home. So what about us today? Should we be trying to get to Zion? Yes. But not the one on earth. In Revelations, it says that there is a new Jerusalem that is being prepared for us. Revelations 21, I read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for The first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the new Jerusalem that will come down and be prepared for those who love him and who have come to Christ. This is the one that, this is the Zion that we should now be pressing towards to get in. But how do we? get into this heavenly Zion. Well, it's the same way. But it's the grace that was revealed, that appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
at the right time in history. The Lord did not just look down from his holy mountain, but he came down in the person of Jesus. He came to the earth and he unlocked the chains, but it wasn't the chains of slavery to an earthly master. It was the chains of slavery to sin. For all who sin are slaves to sin. And that was all of us. And if we were slaves to sin, we were slaves to death because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And he set them free. He set people free by suffering under the wrath of God in their place. You see, if God hiding his face meant the wrath of God was towards them, then him shining his face meant the wrath of God was removed. Well, how does the wrath of God get removed? He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He spends it all on Jesus Christ. When you see the afflictions of this individual here, the agony, being alone, the aching bones, the cries, the tears, the rejection, take that all, put it together, put it in a cup, and this is what the Lord drank for you. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said, if this cup could pass, let it go. If it could pass, it couldn't pass if he wanted to save. So he had to drink it. He drunk the wrath of God. That's what happened on the cross. The wrath of God was placed on Jesus and it was satisfied on Jesus. So now all afflictions, all of God's anger has been removed. That's why we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus because in him we are free. And in him we make a desire. Because when Jesus died, he rose again and he went to that heavenly place. So now if we die and if we're in Christ, we'll also be in that heavenly place with him. Now do you think that if he could, would take the Israelites out of Egypt and take them to the promised land and then take the Israelites out of captivity from Babylon and get them back to Zion, do you think that he would not safely bring us to home with him in heaven? His track record says he's good on that. It's going to happen. You're going to get there. Rejoice. You're going to get to Zion. And then guess Look, turn to Hebrews 12. You know how I know you're going to get to Zion if you're in Christ? Because you're already there. Hebrews 12. I was going to read it, but it's good if you see it. Hebrews 12. After he talks about how they not going to come to the hill of the law in Sinai, he says in verse 22, talking about Christians, but you have come, verse 22, but you, 
talking to Christians who've placed their faith in Christ, but you have come to Mount Zion. But you have come. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkling of blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. You have made it to Zion. When you came to Christ, you made it to Zion. You're not as far as you think you are. You're only a breath away. You're only a breath away. You're only a breath away. You're very close. Hold on. You're in. Now listen, listen as I read Zephaniah 3.14. Just listen as I read, okay? This is for you. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your futures, fortunes before the Lord. This is what the Lord says to us who are in Zion. I know people who liked, uh, my mama liked Luther Vandross. Always singing, a chair is not a chair. (laughs) But guess what now? The Lord is singing over her. And the Lord is singing over us. You think that when Amos is leading us that we're just singing to the Lord? No, the Lord is singing over us. He is glad with us. And the Lord is bringing the nations in. We have many different people from many cultures here in this church. You know, this is, this is, a, this is a little Ward 8 Zion, right? <laughs> this is a little church of Zion. The Lord is bringing the nations in here. And there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The Lord has taken the judgments away. And the Lord is in our midst. The Lord is in our midst where two or three are gathered. I'm with them. All authority has been given to Jesus. Go and therefore 
teach all nations. And he says, lo, I am with you always. Oh, we're a little Zion. This is, this, is, this is us right here. Look at this with fresh eyes and rejoice because you have made it. Now, if you're outside of Zion, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, I would like to ask you, really, is, is, is your, are you doing this good? Is this your fortune? Can you, can you live out in your suburban home and still have your doors unlocked and be safe from no enemies? Or, or can you still lay your head and, and, and really honestly say that there's no judgment for you? Is God in your midst? I guarantee you that wherever you are, whether you're in a suburb or whether you're in a hood, if you are not with the Lord, if you are not with Christ in Zion, then there's nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth outside. You may not experience it now, but it will come. Enter into the joy of the Father. This is a joyful place. Enter in by by coming to Christ and by fleeing from sin. And in all our afflictions, this is for the Christian, a couple points. One, in all our afflictions, don't forget to cherish the church. Don't forget to cherish the church. It said that they cherished Zion. They cherished her stones, right? The church is the true Zion. And so we should be praying that the Lord builds it up. You notice he links his building to their praying. Destitute prayer. And so if we want to see the Lord build up his local assembly and to build up Zion, we should be praying and agonizing an intense prayer that the Lord would do it, that he would raise up elders and that he would save people and bring them in. Cherish the church in the midst of your afflictions and seek for its edification and for building it up. But also, we'll see, I'm sorry, another application for us is to Preach the gospel of grace to everyone you see. He's told them to record it, to write it down for generations to come. We want others to hear about the grace of God so that they would believe and come and join with us. We are not a stingy group of people who who keep the answers to themselves. No, we, we show others the answer to the test. We say Jesus is the way. We say our hope is in the Lord Jesus. And we tell them to come to Jesus. When I was reading this psalm, I was kicking myself because of all this turmoil that was going on. I don't think that I used it well to point people to Zion. I don't, I don't, I don't think that I said, I, I understand that there's this function between the the laws and the, and the people and this and that, but listen, what you're looking for is the law of the Lord, where the law of the Lord will finally rule and where the king of kings will reign in justice and righteousness. 
That's where, that's where we should be looking forward to. I, I don't think I pointed people to the Lord right. But we should be pointing people there. Also, it said that the nations would fear and come in. So we should also get involved in missions. The nations will gather to worship the Lord. And so we should be intentional about sharing the gospel not only to the corners of our block, but also to the corners of the world. And we can remember that in spite of all of our afflictions, we can rejoice. We can rejoice because we've made it in Zion. And lastly, we can rest because our our unchanging king will keep us in Zion. Our unchanging king will keep us in Zion. Verse 23 through 28. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. I love the, re- I love the, the, uh, the humanity that's within the Psalms. Right? right after he begins to think about how the hope of, of going to Zion and being with the Lord, he sinks right back to looking at himself like, oh, but Lord, please don't take me away. I'm broken. I'm like, I'm withering away. I'm, my days are shortened. That's how we are, right? I've, I've, left, I've left this place with spiritual highs, went right back and got right back low. That's being in the fallen world. That's being in decay. But then again, we got to lift our eyes back up to the Lord. That's what he does. He lifts his eyes. After he gets down, he lifts his eyes back up to the Lord. And when he looks at the Lord, he looks at the nature of God. He says the Lord is the creator and the Lord is unchanging. Some of the most certain things in life throughout all of people's existence, there's two things that that has always been there. It wasn't always an Apple and iPod. It wasn't always... Technology wasn't always cars. But two things that's always been there. It's the heavens and the earth. Since man's been on the earth, they've always been able to look up and see the heavens and look down and see the earth. But even more consistent than the heavens and the earth is Jesus, is the Lord In fact, the Lord will change the heavens and the earth like a robe, but he will remain the same. And this gives the psalmist security because then if, if he remains the same and if I'm in the Lord, that means I'm secure. That means through, through all of the things that change in life and through the decay of my body and Everything that goes on around, if I'm in Christ, he is my anchor. And if he ain't moving, I ain't moving. And who is this Lord? I slipped up, said it multiple times, but who is this Lord? Well, in Hebrews 1, 8 through 12, when, 
when the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Son of God, speaking of Jesus, how he's, more, how he's higher than the prophets, how he's the, the greater prophet, and how he's higher than the angels, more glorious than the angels. This is what he says about the Son in verses 1, verse, I mean in chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, I mean 8 through 12, he says, but of the Son, he says, but of the Son, speaking of Jesus, he says, but your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And then in verse 10, still speaking of the Son, Jesus, he says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They were out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. The writer of Hebrews applies this text to Jesus. He shows us that God is speaking to Jesus in this song. He's telling us about Jesus. Jesus is both Lord and God. Now, some may say, Jesus, I mean, God is great and God is awesome and God is merciful, but he's, he's too divine to take on flesh and come to the earth. But I say he's so divine and so merciful that he took on flesh and came to earth. The real, the depths of his mercy said, I have, I'm coming in the flesh to my people to die for them. I'm coming in the flesh to lay down my life for them. We got our hope in not just a man, but in the God man, Jesus. And so, if he's the God man, we know that his perfections, his purposes will last. His love towards his people will not wither. His purpose towards those he has set free will not be frustrated. His blood will not lose his power. His days will not pass away. He, for, he is forever our Lord and he has built Zion and he will keep us in Zion. So when you feel your Strength getting weak. Turn your eyes towards Jesus. Grab your Bibles. Open it up. And look towards Jesus. And when you look in those passages, when you look at the Gospels and you see him doing miraculous, powerful things and speaking with authority, look and say, that's my anchor. That's my surety. That's my rock. That's my savior. And you see him raised from the dead. You say, that's my king sitting on an eternal throne and, and you're with him. Turn your eyes towards Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And when you do that, the things of this world, the the fleeting things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace.
This is how we are to mourn, church. We really cried to the Lord. We cried to the Lord, but we rejoice because we have a hope in heaven. And then we fix our eyes on Jesus as the anchor of our souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in Christ Jesus we are guaranteed that we will make it to the new Jerusalem. We know that you will hold us fast. We know that there's no guilt in life and no fear in death. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck us from our Savior's hand. We know that till he returns or calls us home, in the power of Christ, we will stand. We praise you for that. Remind us of that in all of our afflictions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.